Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 17 and 18 this morning. These verses are about faith. They're about Abraham's faith in God's promise that he would be the father of many nations. And as we think about Abraham's faith in God's promise, I trust it will strengthen our faith in all of God's promises that he makes to us in his word. I think we'd all say that we need to have our faith strengthened this morning. Let's pray together that God would do that now through the preaching of his word. Let's pray. God, we come to you again and we admit that our faith is often weak. It's not as strong as it should be, as we'd like it to be. And so we pray that you would strengthen it this morning through the preaching of your word. Thank you for enabling Abraham to grow strong in his faith in your promise, to believe your promise. Would you help us also to grow strong in our faith in all of your promises that you make to us in your word? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 4, I'll start at verse 16 and actually read down through verse 22, but our focus will be on verses 17 and 18. These are the words of God. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Again, these verses are about Abraham's faith in God's promise. As you can see in your sermon notes, we're going to look this morning at the ground of Abraham's faith in verses 17 and 18. And next time, we'll look at the growth of Abraham's faith in verses 19 through 22. The ground of Abraham's faith, that is what Abraham's faith was grounded on or based on or rooted in, was the power of God and the promise of God. The ground of his faith was the power and promise of God. 
Let's see that in verses 17 and 18. Verse 17, as you can see there, starts mid-sentence with the words, as it is written. Paul had just said at the end of verse 16 there that Abraham is the father of us all, that is, of all believers. And now he backs that up with a quote from the Old Testament. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Now, Paul's quoting Genesis chapter 17, verse 5. Listen to Genesis 17, verses 3 through 5. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Abram meant exalted father. But your name shall be Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. For, and here's the quote, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. He wasn't the father of a multitude of nations yet. In fact, he wasn't a father at all by Sarah. He and his wife Sarah hadn't been able to have children. But God said to him, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. In other words, I have appointed you, I have decreed that you would be the father of a multitude of nations, which of course is ultimately fulfilled in the gospel spreading to all nations and people of all nations believing the gospel and thus sharing the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all, as Paul says. Then in verse 17, after the quote, We read these words, in the presence of the God in whom he believed. That refers back to the verses from Genesis 17 that I read and the fact that Abram fell on his face before God. He fell on his face in the presence of God. So he was in the presence of God when God said to him, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And he believed God. So we read in verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed. Now here comes the most important part, and we'll take some extra time on this. Paul then says two things about God. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, number one. Number two, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Notice, first of all, that Abraham didn't just believe in some sort of divine being, some sort of higher power. He didn't just believe in a God in general, some sort of generic deity or vague and undefined deity made up of Abraham's own thoughts and opinions on what God should be like. No, he believed in a very specific God. He believed in the one true and living God. He believed in the God who is there. He believed in the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, as it says. This should remind us that it's not enough for us to believe in a higher power. It's not enough for us to believe that There is a God, but that we are not Him, as it's been said. 
It's not enough for us to believe in just any God, so long as we're sincere in that belief. No, we must believe in the one true God, the God who is real, the God who is our maker and our sustainer and our only redeemer, the God who has revealed himself in Scripture as having a very specific character, very specific attributes. We must believe in him in order to be saved. If you're feeling sick, you don't open the medicine cabinet and just take the first medicine you see. Any medicine will do so long as you just take something. No, you take a very specific medicine based on what you really need. We can't believe in just any God. Any God will do so long as we're sincere in our belief. No, we must believe in the one true God. We must believe in the only God there is. We must believe in a very specific God, here described as the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. First, God is the God who gives life to the dead. This connects down to verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of of Sarah's womb. Abraham believed in the God who gives life to the dead, the God who could give life to his aged body, which was as good as dead, the God who could give life to Sarah's womb, which was barren. Their bodies were dead when it came to their ability to have children. Their bodies were dead when it came to their ability to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But God gives life to the dead. And Abraham believed God that he could give life to their dead bodies. He believed in God's power and God's promise. He believed that God was powerful enough to fulfill his promise, that he would make Abraham the father of many nations. Abraham believed in God. He didn't believe in himself. He trusted God not himself. He leaned not on his own understanding or his own abilities. He leaned on God, on God's power and promise. He didn't think it was up to him to fulfill God's promise. He trusted God to fulfill God's promise. He believed in the God who gives life to the dead. Secondly, he believed in the God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. Namely, in this case, Abraham's offspring, Abraham's descendants, the many nations that he would be the father of, those things did not yet exist. God had made or appointed Abraham to be the father of many nations when he didn't even have a single child yet by Sarah. God called into existence by his word, by his decree, the things that did not yet exist. As John Murray put it, the things promised had not yet come into being. They were non-existent as respects realization. But because God promised them and therefore determined that they should come to pass, the certainty of their realization was secure. 
Abraham was to be the father of many nations, but he wasn't even the father of a single child yet by Sarah. But he believed in the God who calls into existence the things that do not yet exist. Now, I think we should pause for a few minutes here and recognize that God still does these things today, doesn't he? He is still the God who gives life to the dead spiritually. He has done that for each of us who are believers. Before God saved us, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, like it says in Ephesians 2. But God made us alive together with Christ. He gave life to us when we were spiritually dead. It's not that we were drowning in the middle of the ocean and He rescued us. It's that we were dead and had sunk to the bottom of the ocean, and he resurrected us. He gave life to us when we were dead in our sin. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God is still the God who gives life to the dead. This should give us hope in our evangelism as we seek to share the gospel with those around us. When we share the gospel with, say, a friend who's not a Christian, spiritually speaking, it's like we're going to a cemetery and standing in front of a gravestone and saying to that gravestone, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The person we're talking to is spiritually dead, but we believe in God who gives life to the dead. We believe in the God who is able to regenerate that person's heart and effectually call them to himself through our fumbling proclamation of the gospel. We believe in the God who can cause those dry bones to live, Ezekiel 37. We know that because... That's what he tells us in his word. We know that because that's what he's done for us. So even though the unbelievers around us are dead in sin as we once were, we believe in the God who gives life to the dead and that should give us great hope in our evangelism. I think this should also give us courage in our daily battle against remaining sin. Because not only did God give us life when we were dead in our sin, but God continues to give us life and power to fight against that remnant of sin that remains in us. And that life and power is available to us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because God gave life to His Son, He now gives life to all those who are united to His Son by faith. In Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, Paul refers to the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in your heart and your life as a believer. It's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us 
who believe. And that should give us courage in our daily battle against remaining sin. So often we feel like David going up against Goliath or Christian going up against Apollyon. We feel mismatched and overwhelmed and hopeless. But God gives life to the dead. He gives power to the weak. He gives courage to the faint-hearted. And when we lean on Him by faith, when we trust in Christ, our King, He conquers His and our enemies. Romans 8, 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. We believe in the God who still gives life to the dead. And we believe in the God who still calls into existence the things that do not exist. He did this, of course, in creation when He said, let there be light, and there was light. He does this also in redemption when He says, let there be faith, and there is faith in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We believe in the God who can call faith into existence where there is no faith. We believe in the God who can give strong faith where there is only weak faith. We believe in the God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. The God Abraham believed in, the God we believe in, is the God who gives life to the dead and who calls into existence the things that do not exist. Why wouldn't we believe in Him? Why wouldn't we trust Him? Why wouldn't we take him at his word when he makes promises to us in his word? Think of what he is able to do. He created the universe. He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He made Abraham the father of a multitude of nations. He has turned countless hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, including your heart and mine, surely He is able to keep His promises to us. It'd be foolish to take your car into a mechanic who didn't know the difference between a carburetor and a car battery. It'd be foolish to sign your kids up for piano lessons with a piano teacher who'd never played piano before. It'd be foolish to agree to have brain surgery performed by a surgeon who'd never been to medical school. It'd be foolish not to trust the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. He is able. He is trustworthy. We should believe in Him like our father Abraham did. 
So the ground of Abraham's faith, what Abraham's faith was grounded on, based on, rooted in, was the power of God and the promise of God. We're seeing that here. Let's see more of that in verse 18 now. Look at verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Paul quotes Genesis 15, 5, at the end there. Listen to Genesis 15, 4 through 6. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed that he should become the father of many nations. He believed as he'd been told. He heard the promise of God, and he believed the promise of God. God said, so shall your offspring be. And despite the seeming impossibility of it all, Abraham believed that he should become the father of many nations, just as God promised. I think you and I often struggle in the Christian life. We often struggle with whether we're going to listen to God's promises or whether we're going to listen to our own feelings. We often struggle with whether we're going to listen to God's promises or whether we're going to listen to the lies of the evil one. We often struggle with whether we're going to listen to God's promises or whether we're going to listen to the voices that we hear out in the world every day of our lives. And we often tune out or forget altogether what God has said, what we have been told He has said, like we sang earlier, Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. But when we receive a troubling diagnosis, or we hear some disturbing news. It's as if those words we sang so heartily together earlier are suddenly muted. And we forget that God is with us and that He is our God and that He will strengthen us and help us and uphold us. But if we could suddenly push unmute and hear those words of promise again being heartily sung by God's people how differently we would respond to those fearful circumstances. So don't mute the promises of God. Unmute them. Turn them up. Listen to them loud and clear. Put them on repeat. Don't play lies over and over in your mind. Play the truth. Play the promises. Don't let the promises of God be like an old CD that's in your car somewhere 
and you never listen to it anymore. Maybe it's buried in the glove box or it fell into the abyss between the seats long ago. So you just listen to whatever's playing on the radio. Whatever's playing in the radio of your mind, turn off the radio. Find that old CD. Put it in. Turn it up. Play the promises of God in your mind. Preach the promises to yourself. Pray the promises into your heart. And then believe and act on the promises as Abraham did. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, perhaps you're committed to another religion or you don't consider yourself a religious person, God makes a promise to you in the Bible. Don't know if you knew that. There's a very famous verse in the Bible. It's John 3.16. That is the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. And it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That means God so loved you that he gave his only Son, Jesus Christ. He sent his Son into the world to become a man and to live and to die and to rise again for sinners like you and me. He gave his only Son unto death on the cross. That was to atone for all the sins of all who would ever believe in him. And whoever believes in him, turning from their sin and trusting in Jesus Christ, will not perish eternally in hell, but will have eternal life in heaven. That is the promise that God makes to you this morning. On the basis of the life and death and resurrection of his son, he promises that if you repent of your sin and put your faith in him, you will not perish, but will have eternal life. And this is not just an interesting aspect of the Christian faith, something to be aware of, a bit of religious knowledge to add to your knowledge of world religions. No, this is the truth. It's something that you must reckon with this morning in your own mind, in your own heart, before the Lord, between you and your maker. You must recognize that you are a sinner in the sight of God. You are guilty before God the judge, and you deserve his wrath, his judgment, as the just penalty for your sin. And the only way to be saved from your sin and from the wrath of God is through Jesus Christ, through his perfect life of obedience and his sacrificial death on the cross received by faith. You can't be saved through what you do. You can only be saved through what Christ has done. So I urge you this morning to repent and believe in Christ. Turn away from your sin and your rebellion against God and come in faith to Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So come to the Father 
through Jesus the Son. Believe the promise of God that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, I want to spend the last few minutes we have on actually the first phrase of verse 18 there where it says, in hope he believed against hope. That is, in supernatural hope he believed against natural hope. There was no natural hope for him to have children. He was a hundred And his wife wasn't that far behind him. And she was barren. There was no natural hope for them to have children at their age and under their circumstances. But God had made a promise. And so in supernatural hope, Abraham believed that promise. In hope, he believed against hope. Natural hope was running in one direction, and Abraham took off and ran in the other direction, in the direction of faith in God's promise, in the direction of hope in God's promise. When everything around him appeared to be hopeless, he hoped, he believed. And by God's grace, you and I can do the same. And this is not about wishful thinking. This is not about the power of positive thinking. This is not about thinking things into existence. If we just hope for something strong enough and long enough, then it'll happen. No, this is about putting our hope in the promises of God. This is about putting all our eggs in the basket of His Word. This is about leaning our whole weight onto His promise and trusting that it'll hold us. Living by faith in God's promises does not require us to live in denial of our circumstances. It doesn't require us to live in denial of the difficulties that we all face in our lives. No, it means facing those difficulties with faith in God. We don't live in denial. We live in faith. We live in hope. We live in confidence in our God. At times in our lives, it seems like there's no hope. But that assumes there's no God. But there is a God. And He is our God. And we are His people. And He will strengthen us and help us and uphold us. He has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He has promised, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He has promised, cast your burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He gives life to the dead. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. And as long as he exists, there is hope. As long as his promises still stand, there is hope. You know, when the towers fell, 
on September 11th. 20 years ago, this coming Saturday. For those who remember that day, it seemed like everything was destroyed. One building after another, one attack after another. And especially at Ground Zero in New York City, all seemed hopeless. But one of the iconic images from that day is the image of an American flag at Ground Zero being raised high by a few of the first responders as they were standing covered in ash and dust. All seemed hopeless, but that flag and all that it stood for remained. At times, all may seem hopeless in our lives, but God remains. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. Whatever else may fall, the promises of God will stand. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your promises, and we pray that you'd give us faith to believe your promises like Abraham did. Enable us to put our hope in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a minute now to meditate on the preached word.